Hi everyone, welcome back to Enneagram with Michaela. We are uh, talking to our final, uh, I, I guess we can say interviewee for this season. And um, don't worry, we will have more seasons to come. This has been very inspirational um, to me and I hope to you as well, hearing all these different types. And um, this is a full circle moment because we started with Audrey as our type one and the beginning of this and we are ending with Amy. It's funny that we end with ladies whose both names start with A. It means something. My friend Amy and you are in Alabama. I am thrilled. I love, <laughs> I love Southern accents. It just... It touches my soul. And so um, Amy is our wonderful type one. And so we will get to hear from her today. And I'm so excited. So Amy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. This is this has been so a fun. joy. A joy. So let's dig in and tell me a little bit about your story and how that eventually led to you finding the Enneagram. My name's Amy, um, neighbors, as you said, um, um, I was born and raised in the foothills of Northeast Alabama. Um, and now I live in the loveliest village of the, on the plains in Auburn, Alabama with my husband, son, and our yellow lab, um, yellow Labrador retriever about, I guess about, it's probably about eight years ago. Um, there was a blogger I followed and she was really into the Enneagram. And so, um, she had recommended a book. And I, so I was like, okay, I loved personality stuff. Like I discovered the Myers-Briggs in college, um, discovered the DISC probably about 12 years ago. I just love personality stuff. And so I downloaded one of the books she recommended. It was just a basic intro to the Enneagram book. And I downloaded it on my Kindle. And one of the first couple of chapters was on Enneagram ones. And when I read it, when I read the description, I absolutely cringed. <laughs> when I read the unhealthy characteristics and thought, I cannot possibly be that way. There's no way I'm that way. Um, so I closed that book on my Kindle and I have not opened it since. <laughs> and so, but not long after that, I was reading another book that was um, like an overview of several different personality typing systems, like Love Languages, Myers-Briggs, and there was a chapter on the Enneagram. And when I read um, the paragraph that was about ones, I was like, okay, yeah, that's me. And decided it was something I needed to dig deeper into. And so that's how it all started. Love that. Love that. I remember taking Myers-Briggs, I think for myself in college way back. And I remember doing a disc test um, when I was serving at a, a church in a city I used to live in. And I don't think me and disc got along very well. And I don't really think I understood <laughs> it. I don't even remember what my letters were, but I just remember walking away and being like, I think disc is telling me that I'm not a very friendly person. <laughs> so I'm like, we're just going to skip that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are certain, there are certain types in the disc and yeah, I'm one of, I'm, I'm one of those in the disc. But, but I love what you said that reading description of the one, the first time you read that book kind of made you cringe. Mm -hmm. Because that is probably the top reaction to most people being like, I don't want this to be true at all. And you read it, exactly. you're like, oh, this is me. This is not. Yeah, <laughs> not yeah my mind. initial <laughs> my initial reaction, and we had just gone through like moving and, you know, we had a parent pass away. And so there's just a lot of life changes. And so when I read it, I was just not at a place where I could really deal I, I hate to say deal with that I just I could not deal with that at the moment yeah. you know but 
as God does, he brings it back to you. That's right. <laughs> so, that's so, that's so, so yeah. So what the initial reaction was, was cringe. So yes. once discovering a little bit further, you know, then how did you start feeling about one? Initially, it, I mean, then I was really curious. Like I was really curious. I read the road back to you, you know, of course, the main, you know, that everybody seems to read very curious. And I was like, okay, I need to dig into this more. And there was just something inside me, that gut reaction. Of course, I'm a one, mm-hmm. you know, that gut reaction. It's like, I need to dig into this more. And so, um, and then I started leading small groups using the road back to you and a couple of another book, um, on the Enneagram, but it wasn't really until I started, um, really looking at it because I feel like so many people that is their first reaction. They cringe when they read those unhealthy characteristics. And so what I learned was, wait, I want to encourage people with this. Mm. And so then I started really, yes, we acknowledge the unhealthy characteristics because you need to bring it to light. But then I really encourage people in the healthy characteristics and like how, you know, each number is created to bear the image of God, you know, a certain aspect of God's image to people. And so I really encourage people in that because I feel like it gives us more of a, um, just a better mindset instead of going at it from the mindset of, oh, this is where I fail. If we look at it from the mindset of, oh, that is how I was created. Mm -hmm. That's how, what I'm supposed to be doing to help others. And, and so now I love it for that reason, because I love that it's, Yes, it shows you your unhealthy characteristics, but once you get past that and once you give yourself grace, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. like it's just a beautiful picture mm-hmm. of how God created you and how you are supposed to function in this world. Yeah. And we, I think we get hung up on beating ourselves up and not giving ourselves grace. We need to look at it from a more abundant mindset. And so that's, that's what I love. I, I love about the, that's what I love about the Enneagram. That is awesome. That's so good. One of the many reasons I love the Enneagram, and I think we all do, everyone that I've I've talked to, is that yes, it shows both healthy and unhealthy parts of you, but it's kind of like the friend we all need needed, but never knew how much we needed in order to put that mirror up to your face because no one likes being called out. No one likes to admit that we have flaws. Um exactly. I think I think we all aspire to be ones in the sense of not perfectionism in the world, but perfectionism in us into that we are untouchable. Nothing can hurt us, whatever and whatever. It's really nice that the Enneagram humbles you exactly. in that first initial thing of like, my weakness is envy and your weakness is perfectionism. And so you could close the book right there and just have such a negative outlook on life. But exactly. I love what you said of living right. in abundance where a lot of people chalk up their personality of, oh, this is just the way I've always been. Right. I'm not curious about how you got to that point is like my internal question of like, there's probably right. a real good reason. Exactly. And like, you know, I mean, we're told God created man in his image. And so if he created all of us in his image, you know, we very quickly get into that. I call it like a scarcity mindset. Whether and, and it doesn't have to do with money necessarily, but just a spiritual scarcity mindset. And it's so important that we we flip that and we live on an abundant mindset and not financially or anything like that. It doesn't have to do with that, but just our spiritual life. 
Like, because if we're constantly beating ourselves up and constantly looking at the negative, well, of course we're not going to reach and be the image of him that he created us to be. So that works. That works. So how has the Enneagram changed your life knowing that you are a type one, you wing nine more strongly. We'll talk about that in a hot second. In professional life and personal life and relationship with yourself, how have you kind of grown into your oneness? Um, I definitely have more grace for myself and others most of the time. Not that I'm perfect, yeah. not that it happens every, <laughs> you know, all the time. But I definitely have more grace for myself, especially um Cause you know, I think ones are like this and I can remember being a child and making a mistake, not intentionally because ones, we try not to do that, (laughs) but being punished for that and beating myself up more. Like I never needed to be punished because I was already punishing myself. Yeah. And so I definitely have more grace for myself now. I mean, I could remember even into my thirties. If I, like, I would replay a conversation with someone and be like, oh, I didn't, oh, like beating myself up about it because I thought I might've hurt their feelings or I thought I might've said something wrong. And so now I definitely have just more grace for myself. And if I hear that inner critic coming in and starting to berate me, I can quickly bring it to light and go, thank you. I know you're trying to make things better, but God's got this, Mm -hmm. like, you know. And so definitely having more grace for myself. And it's definitely helped me understand um, the term hurt people, hurt people. Mm, That's good. Because it's given me deeper insight into why someone might be so hurtful to others. Um, You know, I have that four path as a one. And so, you know, I cannot count. I mean, if I could, if I had a quarter for every time somebody told me I was being too sensitive Mm -hmm. over the course of my life, I would be very rich. Raise but, it to a dollar and you'll exceed that, that limit. Exactly. <laughs> and so now it's easier for me to understand that, okay, I don't know what's going on with them, but something's going on with them and it doesn't have anything to do with me. Yeah. That's definitely just the biggest thing is it's given me, given me capacity for more grace for myself and others. I love that. I love that so very much. Um. So I mentioned just a little bit ago that you wing nine a little bit more um, favorably than a two. And I can't remember if we have said this before. I'm sure we have. And we even talked about this before we hit record. There are a couple of like Enneagram teachers and leaders in our industry who have come up with the theory, I guess we can say that you do use both your wings. However, these teachers and leaders will say that you use one wing in the beginning of your life and then there is a magical switch maybe not so so magical but there's a switch to now using the other wing for the remainder of your life and it's not an even split of like 50 to 100 you know what I mean um right right science isn't that you know precise but talk about that switch for you and how how it all works yeah so I've always had um I mean I can remember remember I can always remember from being very young, having that inner critic of the one in my head and always feeling like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't doing something good enough. But I also had that very strong desire for peace and for things to be peaceful. And I have felt that 
just a very strong nine wing. I can lean into some of those nine characteristics in a hot second if I get stressed. (laughs) Amen. So, but I've just recently noticed, especially since becoming a coach, that my two wing is becoming stronger. And it's just really, I think, so I think there may be something to, I do, I think there is something to what those Enneagram teachers and leaders teach about your wings. And I've all, I can, I can see the two wing at certain times. And sometimes I can see the unhealthy characteristics of the two wing come out in the past. So it's always been there, but I think it's now becoming stronger, especially since I'm more comfortable in my own self, my own skin. And I have found what I'm passionate about doing. Yeah. And so I think maybe, I don't know, that's my theory. Maybe it switch. It kind of comes on stronger. The other one comes on stronger when you do kind of finally settle into yourself and what you're passionate and find find that thing that just lights you up and brings you, you know, brings you joy. Yeah, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. There are seasons where, you know, your two week can come out even in specific like situations, not necessarily like uh, there was a year back in 2007 that I just right. used my two wing. Like that really doesn't yeah. exist. It were, it's so uh, flexible and, and flowy, the, yes. the use yeah. of our wings. And I like to call them our supporting characteristics so we can like, yes. we can dip into them. It's kind of like you're at a giant party, like a chip and salsa or chip and guac, queso, whatever your vibe is. And it's like, you keep going back because A, it's so good. And B, who doesn't love chips and guac? But you kind of, you kind of dip into different, different ones and they kind of sparkle yes. and add variety to what you already are as your main type. And yes, you, you exhibit both healthy and unhealthy, but it's really good yeah. to recognize I've been one for so long and now it's like, oh. The other one wasn't dormant and didn't like me. Right. It just calls for a certain situation before it kind of pops yeah. up. And you're like, oh, there you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and my two wing was still like, I, I'm, you know, there are situations yes. that would, let's say, trigger the two wing. Yes. <laughs> and not the healthy characteristics right, of right. the two wing. For sure. So I could write, you know, I've been able to recognize that. But as far as like one being more dominant, um, it's always been the nine has been more dominant. But now I do see um the two coming out the the healthy characteristics hopefully oh yeah because we love twos (laughs) we love twos around here we love all of them around here so once the perfectionist the um moral reformers whatever one you know fits the boat better right and there's such a strong desire for uh justice and rightness and, and goodness and ethics and morality is that is that big scale of like the world needs to be a certain way and everyone needs to turn on their blinkers before they turn or the bed needs to be made the proper way. So how does that, it assume, I assume it all falls into every day, but is there something that kind of feels more stronger? Is it tasks or is it situations? Is it people? Is it politics? Is it everything of, it just needs to be this way. You know, I would say probably 10 years ago. Yeah. I would have been like, yes, everything needs to be this way. Um, There is still that, very strong want for justice, um, desire for justice and fairness. But I see the the world a lot more gray and not as black and white as I used to. Mm. There are, there are certain situations um, where the black and white comes out and it really has to do more with task. And when someone doesn't do their task well, yeah, 
And then I have to fix that task. <laughs> That's more when that black and white thinking comes in. Yeah. And sure, there are still, there are still areas and things that I feel very um, strongly that this is wrong and this is right, but I can see other perspectives and yeah. have more grace for other perspectives and not this or that. It's a both and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that both. And yeah. So with the compassion towards your self, recognizing the tendencies of right and wrong and what needs to be that black and white, as you said, and what can kind of live in the gray areas, you wing a nine, which we know all about nines through this season and they are peacemakers. They are easygoing. They desire peace above everybody, everything else. So how does that come into play when there might be a situation where the gray kind of becomes black and white but yet you very much tap into but I need peace about the situation this person this task how does that play out for you um a lot of internal angst because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're you know the one is like no it's got to be um and really in the task it's really like I work in an accounting job and so the data has got to be yeah. It's got to be right. Yeah. The, the controller wants it right. Oh. <laughs> you know? And so that's where the, that's where the like black and white comes in. But the nine in me is like, oh, I just don't want to have to deal with this again. I just want peace. Yeah. I'm just tired of, you know, and so I tend to withdraw a little bit on that. So, but it's almost like, you know, the eights and the eight with a nine wing, they're very conflicted. And it's this, I feel like it's the same, at least for me a one with a strong nine wing, it's, I can feel very conflicted inside. And so, and that's when I go into centering prayer or do anything like that, that will center me, calm me. Um, so I can, and let go, let it go. I surrender it. Um, not as quickly as I, I'm trying to learn to do it more quickly. And a lot of that surrendering is, watching my thoughts Mm -hmm. and being very aware of where my thoughts are going with that and not letting them spiral out of control um, and into a frustration that then gets my emotions going. So I kind of try to take every thought captive quickly and surrender that as quickly as I can. Not that I do it perfectly every day or all the time, but that is that's the goal. That's absolutely. And you're on the journey of, of recognizing that because I can almost imagine like if I have to, if I have to redo the spreadsheet one more time, there is not going to be peace in this office. (laughs) I can only imagine that bird's eye view. That's what I love about hearing these different types that have the conflicting wing that they're maybe a little bit more stronger in. And it's so great, even in that small example of how diverse the Enneagram is and how deep and complex we've heard. We can all tattoo those words all over us just because it's so true to know that, yeah, the one is seeking has sometimes a black and white vision. But then there is that piece where it's like a little bit more carefree, which is what the nine brings. And so it's really been yes. fun to hear these different types, especially a one wing nine of knowing how to work hand in hand with something that could be conflicting that you wouldn't maybe want to come alongside of, but knowing what you do and you become friends with whichever wing is, is seems to be in in conflict. What a beautiful harmony that can develop and grow when you kind of learn to to live hand in hand with that. Yeah. 
and it really is those spiritual practices that, uh, you know, um, the centering prayer practice and Sabbath and rest and the surrendering and capturing those thoughts that has really been key in bringing that inner peace yeah. so that there's not so much inner conflict yes. when it comes to those, um, <laughs> those, you know, that wing that can be very counter to my typical, yes. typical bent. And we were but. talking about rest and Sabbath before we hit record. So I kind of want to go back to that because you dropped a little word bomb and I got chills all over and I'm ready to have chills again. Yes. Well, it started out as, um, with my, I work with a coach. She is a nine. And so since I have a very strong nine wing, um, we kind of laugh and, um, about the sloth, you know, the nines are considered like their weakness is considered sloth. She told me about, she's like, have you heard about sloth wisdom? And I was like, no, what is this? <laughs> Please tell me. <laughs> and so it's been really interesting just to learn it, like literally learn about sloths and the wisdom and how they like, they, they're so efficient in so many things. And that just really played into what God has been teaching me over the past couple of years is Sabbath rest. And it was really funny last night I was having trouble sleeping. And so I put on a sleep story from the Calm app and I was just scrolling through the, trying to find one. And I can't remember the name of it, but it was something sloth. And in it, this young sloth is being sent out by her mother and it talks about how her mother has taught her that the duty and responsibility of the sloth in the jungle is to teach the rest of the jungle about rest. And I was like, oh, my word. I got chills again. So good. It was so good. And that's just really one of the spiritual practices that I've really tried to put into place over the past couple of years is um, Sabbath, so Sabbath rest and just taking one day a week. And some weeks that's hard, for sure. <laughs> but, um, but I try to do that. And one of the things that is taught, it has taught me and some other things that God has really brought into my life and just joys he's given me, like growing flower, a flower garden um, and learning to bake sourdough bread and different things, just different things that it's slow work. And so it's not that I'm being lazy or a sloth. <laughs> it's slow work and slow work can be good and holy work. And so I loved it when that sleep story last night said the duty of the sloth was to teach the jungle to rest. Chills again. It works. I'm telling you. So good. That is so, so good. And I I love that. I will steal that conversation and give y'all credits and royalties, whatever percentage you want Um, (laughs) because it's so good. And there are certain types that are more go-getters, than than the others and so just to know that we all can experience rest and we all can experience um sabbath to the extent of which we want to do it are you mostly a weekend sabbather or do you try to do like a whole day or like an evening during the week or a half day um usually on the weekend um i try to do it either saturday or sunday depending it honestly depends on how exhausted I am Friday night, (laughs) whether it's going to be Saturday (laughs) or Sunday. Um, but it has really, it's really taught me a lot. And as a one being in that gut triad, we are doing, you know, it's, it's been a discipline to teach myself to get up in the morning and not start doing something. Mm, That's good. Instead of sitting down, doing my centering prayer, sit 
and journaling or whatever that's slower. And so I think that's the gift of having a nine wing is that it has taught me to rest and slow down. I'm thankful for that. Me too. That is just beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. We can continue talking until Christmas and one day we might do that. But we will wrap up our conversation for today with um, the question I've been asking all of our Enneagram folks this season is what encouragement do you have for folks seeking this, the Enneagram out? So my encouragement to others would be to stick with it. Um, It's easy to give up when you see like, you know, when those things you read make you cringe because you're like, I don't really want to be that way. It's not going to be quick work. Um, Learning about your type is just the beginning. Deep dive into all you can learn about your type, but also learn about and implement spiritual practices that bring awareness to your thoughts and what fears and other core motivations they trigger has been a key aspect of my Enneagram journey. Also letting go of any guilt or shame um, when you're not at your best or when you're you think you're not doing it right. Um, it's not something that can be rushed. You can't hurry it. It's what I call slow and holy work. But if you do the work, it brings that inner peace that passes all understanding, as the scriptures tell us. And it's so worth it. When we understand ourselves and how God created us, when we do the inner work, we are able to find our purpose with such peace. And that's when I believe we are growing towards and living at our highest potential. Beautiful beautifully said I love that you incorporated the slow and the holy work in with the Enneagram because that is kind of like flour growing or kind of like making sourdough bread it's you you don't get it right the first time you don't figure everything out the first time so it is a journey of patience and grace um, knowing that everything will kind of pay off and exactly it just takes time so thank you Amy so so much for being here this was delightful thank you so much for having me it was so fun this was amazing and thank you everyone for joining us for these this series I I hope you have been just impacted as much as I have it's this is like better than going back to school just getting to sit here and have conversations (laughs) with fellow Enneagram coaches but also ones who have done the deep work and have not not stuck it out who have persevered through and so it's a beautiful thing to to get to listen to all these conversations and all my new friends all over the country. It's, it's a gift. So thank you so much. And so that concludes our Enneagram interview season number one. I am beyond thankful for all of my guests who came on and just shared their heart and their experience with the Enneagram and how that has influenced their life and helped them to see how they see the world differently because we all see it in a different shade of whatever color is your favorite today. Or if you're like me and every other day is a different color, then so be it. Um, So next week, I will just be kind of recapping everything in just a short little episode, and then that will be the end of our Enneagram with Michaela season, series for the season, series, seasons, you know, as we're getting into the holidays, it is important, like Amy said, to rest, to Sabbath, to find the time to just be still, and with the holidays being the most wonderful time of the year, it is quite honestly, the most stressful time of the year as well. 
And so I will be taking time to rest and enjoy spending time with my people. And I hope that you will do the same. So come back next week for our short recap. And then I will release you into the world to enjoy the rest of 2022. See you next time.